0: It is your Wednesday, Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Happy to have you guys all back for another day. Good show coming up today. Phil Miller, beat writer for the Star Tribune, who covers the Twins, will join me here in a few minutes to talk about season ahead. Season starts tomorrow. It almost feels impossible that that is the case, especially if you stepped outside this morning and felt the cool 10-degree air, spring. Spring in Minnesota, right? But uh, it's happening. They're down in Kansas City. For that series, then they'll go to Miami. Then they're back here for the home opener one week from tomorrow, and a sense of optimism growing around this team, which I sensed when I talked to Lavelle last week, which I sensed when I talked to Phil, um, and there are genuine reasons to be hopeful about this team. And I think it starts with the pitching. Phil and I will get into that in here here in just a few minutes. Like I said, you also can hear from Dave St. Peter, Twins president. Caught up with him yesterday um, they introduced a new scoreboard um, some other enhancements at the ballpark I asked Dave about those things so I'll run that uh, that interview with you just a short one but I'll play that for you as well ahead of the uh, the opener and again the home opener not for a little over a week from now so you won't see those things for a little while but uh, thought it was good to get that to you now Um, get some uh, Timberwolves thoughts at the end of the show. Good story from Chris Hine on Mike Conley Jr. A lot of the things that I've been thinking about expressed in his story by Chris Finch, by Conley himself, just just what he has meant to this team, especially during this latest four-game winning streak. First, though, what did I miss? I want to talk Vikings a little bit at the jump here just because, you know, right in the middle of the league meetings, we've heard from Kuesado Mensa Kevin O'Connell, um, Mark... You know, the Wilf ownership group Mark wilf down at the down at the uh, the owners meetings uh, down at the league meetings and a couple interesting things I thought O'Connell said in particular one from Mark Wilf, too um and I you know some of this plays into what I talked about some on the access Vikings podcast that came out on Tuesday night recorded that with Ben Gessling and Andrew Kramer Ben down at the owners meetings down at the league meetings here to hear from all these guys and to, to understand all the rules changes, things like that. But, you know, I'm, I'm still having a little bit of a hard time grasping the plan this offseason for the Vikings. I kind of felt like I saw where it was headed early in, kind of early in the league year a couple of weeks ago when, you know, they made a couple hard decisions. They cut Eric Kendricks, cut Adam Thielen, and um, they started making some, some other moves to to you know to go around the edges. No Patrick Peterson anymore. No Dalvin Thompson anymore. A lot of veterans, you know, who were commanding pretty big salaries, not on this roster anymore. And it kind of felt like okay, they were buying into this idea that 2023, while not being a rebuild in the classic sense, was at least the year where they were going to make their transition, and that by 2024 there was going to be a pretty significant new flavor on this team with a lot of new pieces, more cap space next year. Things like that, and I feel like it, the plan is stalled right now. That doesn't mean it's it's derailed. Doesn't mean it's changed. It's just kind of stalled right now because of two things. One, I don't think we have clarity yet on the quarterback situation. I know what I know the what they did with Kirk Cousins and not extending him, you know, making it so they have an out after this season um gives gives you kind of the 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 notion that they could go a different direction but I don't know what they're going to do ultimately there and that gives me kind of pause to understand okay what exactly do they think about that going forward and uh, so he, Kevin O'Connell was asked about that kind of asked about Cousins status and uh, he said uh he said about Cousins he said this will be really cool for him to be in the same system calling the same formations same plays Cousins hasn't had the same offensive play caller this is from Ben's story back-to-back years since 2015-16 so it's been a long time I do think that'll help Cousins this year but O'Connell went on to say um, that he and Cousins have great rapport quote so I'm just excited to see him in year two my goal in 2023 is one of the best seasons Kirk Cousins has had playing quarterback in the NFL when that happens I think it's a really good thing for him and the Vikings so Again, you would never close the book on Kirk Cousins being here longer than this year, and you know just as a thought exercise, if you went through all the NFC quarterbacks right now, I don't know there's a lot of them that you'd rather have than Kirk Cousins, and some of that's by default, and some of that's by his achievements. So, um, still the the lack of clarity at quarterback makes me wonder kind of what they're up to this year and beyond. The other thing that makes me wonder what they're up to is. They just haven't done anything yet with Zadarius Smith and Dalvin Cook, and we talked about that quite a bit on Access Vikings, and I think a trade is still a possibility for, for either or both of those players. Zadarius Smith, that situation just kind of complicated by, you know, he, he's not exactly happy with his contract situation. I think he would like to go somewhere else based on that, but, you know, the Vikings could pr- could have pretty easily created more cap space earlier this offseason if they had simply moved on from those guys in in that kind of window where they could have especially Zadarius Smith they could have created more cap space there so it's hard to imagine them cutting Darius Smith at this point he's still a valuable player but after signing Matt Marcus Davenport after you know still having Daniel Hunter hard to imagine they're going to pay 3 you know three edge rushers that much money to play in this system this year so That piece of it's interesting to me. The Dalvin Cook piece is interesting to me. And uh, I just don't quite know where they're headed with those guys. And again, Ben talked me down a little bit on Access Vike. and said, you know what? I get it, but this is not going to look the same in June or July that it does at the end of March. And I think that happens in a lot of sports. You you get kind of fired up about what happens early. You think that's going to be the picture going forward. And then they make subtle moves along the way. And then the, then the, the full picture at the end ends up looking like, okay, this makes sense. I still just don't feel like this roster makes sense or this plan makes sense to me so I want to know I'd like to just fast forward and know what it's going to look like I guess is what I'm saying but we'll try to exercise some patience see what they're able to do in the draft what they're able to do uh, going forward like that but I just feel still feel like they want to be you know competitive that they're not ever going to fully commit to something where they're not going to have a chance to at least be a 500 team and I don't know if that's that's a model that's one way to go about it I don't know if that's If that's the way I would go about it, Mark Wilf saying we want to be super competitive every time we step on the field every season. We feel we're going to be strong. Of course, division winners, we're going to be strong. We know there's strong teams in our division now, and we have to never take anything for granted. I think that's why they're working every single day to turn over every stone, if you will, to just keep getting better. So I don't think they're ever going to bottom out, and maybe that's okay. If you bottom out, sometimes you don't come back up for a very long time. I just wish they were a little bit more committed to a rebuild this year than I, than I sense they are right now. I wish they were committed a little bit more to a bigger kind of okay. 2023 might not be the greatest year, but if we pivot right now, there could be better years ahead. I don't sense they're there yet. I think that might be might be a better strategy, and maybe that'll emerge. Maybe we will see more evidence of that as time goes on. Right now, I'm just not seeing it.
1: Take a placation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M, so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to
0: Mystic Lake,
1: where every day is play day.
0: Let's talk baseball today. Phil Miller, twins beat writer for the Star Tribune, joins me. Season opener just around the corner, Phil, Thursday in Kansas City. Um, a lot of intrigue around this team. I was asking you before we started recording. Um, our colleague, Lavelle Neal, the third, put a specific pinpoint on a win total 91. For this season, which, you know, is in line reasonably with with projections, with what you might think for this team. And I asked you if you share that same reasonable sense of optimism. And you said uh you said 89. So it sounds like, you know, everybody who's been in Florida likes some of the looks of this team. What uh, what do you right off the bat, Phil? What, what is there to what is there to like in your mind in particular? <laughs>
2: it does strike me that we are like this every year. You don't go to, you don't go through a month of spring training and walk away thinking, wow, wow what a waste of time. Those guys are terrible. <laughs> right. Uh, so, yeah, it's the typical, uh, let's go optimism. Uh, but I do think, uh, I, in, in my uh, season preview for Thursday, I, uh, I was talking to Thad Levine about, uh, about this team and, and about their recent history. And he said, uh, something that, uh, that, Kind of struck a chord after watching these guys in spring training, which is that yes, we do not have a number one starter. There is not a Justin Verlander, there is not a Garrett Cole, there is not a Max Scherzer on this team. But the this year, when I look at our staff, I think we don't have a number four or a number five starter either. That uh, that the five guys in our rotation, six with Bailey Ober, who they who would be on, in the rotation under any other circumstance, practically is that. Uh, is that uh, all five guys you would recognize on other teams as being their number two or number three guys that that they don't have a reclamation project at the end of the rotation anymore. I I hate to name names, but uh, let's go Jay Hap, Matt Shoemaker, Chris Archer, Homer Bailey, uh, Hector Santiago. Um, You you know, they have have filled out the rotation with guys that you cross your fingers when they're out there. You know, Thad said that they feel like in the great majority of nights, they will probably have the better starting pitcher on the mound. And uh, even if they don't, uh, they'll be competitive. So that is a change. uh, And that they are pinning a lot of their hopes on, well, on the health of the rotation, which considering two guys are coming back from major injuries, uh, it's still a uh, let we need to see it to believe it. But um, I was impressed with the quality of starting pitching that they were getting in in uh, Florida, uh, particularly with Bailey Ober. But really, all five looked uh, looked sharp. Sonny Gray looks like he could be an ace at, at 33. He's not going to be a young ace uh, like uh, like a Garrett Cole, but uh, it's 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 the pitching that makes you think. Uh, that uh, the twins might be a little better than people expect this year. And, and when was the last time you could say that about a, a twins rotation?
0: It's been a while. I, I I do think that that is, you know, as I kind of watched them assemble this, especially after they went out and got Lopez in the, in the rise trade. And you're like, okay, that, that kind of adds to this kind of ideas of this kind of idea of, of twos and threes and a guy who's maybe more even established and younger in that, <clears throat> in that mix. Um, I I thought that was the reason for optimism from the beginning, including, you know, when you pair that with what looks like when guys are healthy again, and we'll see how much Buxton plays in the outfield, we'll see how much this, you know, that that's impacting the outfield defense, but, but when healthy, it looks like the defense will be pretty good, at least up the middle in particular with, you know, Vasquez catching or Jeffers on off nights, um, you know, good Good out, good outfield defense. Even if Buxton is DHing on a certain night, Correa up the middle. Um, they've got some some pieces defensively to complement what they're doing pitching wise. Um, so that that does feel to me like it's a reason to think that this could be pretty good. Now you mentioned Sonny Gray. How many innings will they be allowed to go? Because Sonny is uh, is already itching for more than more than four or five. That was an interesting kind of I don't know side note from from earlier this week, but just him expressing just the the want to maybe have a different philosophy or a different goal as a staff going forward that four or five innings as a starting pitcher is not is not customary or it's not what they want to aspire to and maybe shouldn't be from the uh from the other side either
2: yes yeah, sonny's main objective was how the uh, his, his main complaint i guess was how uh by middle of the season last year there was a feeling around the team that if you go four innings, if you go five innings, you've done your job. That That's uh, that's all I can ask out of you uh, that, uh, that, you know, uh, they had Chris Archer and they had Dylan Bundy. Now, Chris Archer was dealing with some health things but was trying to pitch through it. But four or five innings was about his limit. Uh, Dylan Bundy um, was healthy, but uh, Dylan tended to run up the pitch uh, count and uh, – and he is a classic third time through guy. Twins are very, very leery of sending their pitchers out for the third time through the order. And there's a reason for it. Uh, they are one of the worst teams in the league with last year's staff at, uh, at getting guys out uh, the third time uh, they face them. Um, I, I think they were in the bottom five in the big leagues in uh, slugging percentage when hitters see a pitcher third time through, Uh so it became more than a philosophy. It became uh, it became routine, and it became accepted. And and Sunny Gray was saying, "That's not accepted." we I can do more. I want to do more, and uh, you know that's what I'm getting paid for. Um, he said that uh, you know I, I do think it was a uh, uh, a not very subtle shot at uh, Chris Archer and at uh, and at uh, Dylan Bundy, but he said that this staff are. Uh, pretty uniform and wanting to go longer. Rocco said at the beginning of camp that, uh, that pitchers will go deeper into games this year. We'll uh, see if that's true there. I know they are still handling Kent Maeda with, uh, with care coming back from Tommy John surgery. Uh, so he might be the exception, but uh, you know, the result of all the short starts and they had the, the most in the majors last year was a tired bullpen. And, uh, uh, you know, they, they fought and fought to try to keep these guys, uh, uh, feeling fresh. Uh, they went through the most pitchers uh, that they ever have in their history. Um, and it, it's a lot less effective. So, um, there is good reason to hope that that's the case and that Sonny Gray, uh, said it on the record was, uh, was, uh, entertaining. And, uh, I know it uh, warmed a lot of hearts among the fandom.
0: It did. It was. It wasn't like it didn't feel like it was so much controversial as it was kind of expressing something that maybe a lot of us noticed last year. And I do think that there was an element last year where, with the labor stoppage or labor, you know, with the labor stuff going on at the early part of camp last year, and then things just all of a sudden starting up. I think maybe at the beginning there was some some cause to pause and you know have these guys work a little bit more carefully, and you know they're coming off strange seasons You had know, still had the COVID season anybody who was young probably still hadn't thrown a lot of innings like Joe Ryan had missed an entire you know minor league season I would I would think in in 2020 so I think there were some legitimate reasons to be careful early but I did think it got to the point where it was a little bit ridiculous sometimes when a guy was cruising and he'd be pulled after five innings because that's what we do around here so I would love to see them go deeper and I think as a function of having a better pitching staff which I think you're right that is the strength of this team maybe that is Something they can do because you guys go six, seven, maybe eight innings from uh, from time to time. As long as the uh, the pitch counts are down, how much does how much do you think the the pace, the way the game is played, does that factor in at all? To you know, if, if these games are going to be shorter, if they may be a little bit crisper, may, maybe that would help uh, help pitchers stay out there a little bit longer too at times.
2: Yeah, and that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out because there's two schools of thought to that. I know that uh, Rocco expressed early on that man conditioning is going to be important because uh there's going to be you, you you can't catch your breath you can't slow it down uh but i think towards the end there was a thought that there's an, an energy to the game now that uh that you're tired afterwards but it doesn't it doesn't fatigue you that much rocco is very aware of a, of a guy who has a difficult inning uh he throws 25 or 30 pitches then he sits down and uh there's a the team goes out one, two, three, and the pitchers back out there within a couple of minutes, he might pull some guys there. I think that is, uh, that's concerning to him, but uh, there is a sense that, that the faster games might, uh, might actually uh, be good for uh, pitchers to uh, get them going uh, a little bit longer. That, uh, that the slog of the game uh, is actually uh, more tiring than the, uh, than playing it faster. Um, so that does enter a, a really unknown element to the season.
0: When you and I talked last time you were on about some of these rule changes, you've written about them quite a bit for the lead up to the season, kind of the the special previews that you've written. I mean, I, I imagine it's not much different than it was two, three weeks ago, last time we talked, but I it just kind of, it kind of feels like there is still this momentum where people are on board with this, that we're still going to be kind of waiting and seeing how things are enforced or how the shifts really impact things once things get going. But it does feel like there's a certain sense of optimism or a certain sense of curiosity, at least for people to see how this impacts the game um, and and people maybe expecting it to impact it in a positive way.
2: Well, yeah, it, it, that was definitely the case in Florida. And it surprised me. I thought that there would be, uh, I thought there'd be a lot of complaints. I thought there'd be many, many times more complaints than we heard about uh, you're affecting how I pitch by insisting on this clock by speeding it up. And I will say that it's not entirely clear that it that will continue in the regular season, but uh, you know, they're in Florida, they're in Arizona. The sooner they get out of here, the sooner they can go meet family for dinner and uh, play around a golf uh, in the regular season. Now the stats count now, you know, now you're affecting my livelihood. If I can't uh, think through how to get through this inning. So uh there might be, uh, it, it might change things. Uh, spring training is not real life. Uh, but that said, everyone was so positive, uh, far more positive about it than, than I expected, that uh, I think some of those uh, good feelings will carry over. The other thing is the great majority of fans don't pay much attention to spring training. And so... Uh, they haven't experienced this. They haven't yeah. been to a, a game at Target Field or, or turned on the TV to, uh, to watch a Twins game, and I think they will be surprised and, uh, and uh, really enjoy the, uh, the new pace of the game because uh, the, the rule works, and, uh, you know, the, if, if the players and the umpires have all bought in, as they seem to in Florida and Arizona, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a the largest change in the game that uh that I can think of since the designated hitter uh, wow I suppose the, I suppose the pandemic was a big change well, yeah, but
0: that was but that's still you know but it was temporary but the runner the runner on second rule that came from that and stayed that was yeah. a pretty big change, but that doesn't impact i mean this impacts every single game that impacts six percent of games or whatever goes to extra innings.
2: I, I just think turning on a, a game, the Twins a night home game, start at 6.40. I think those games often being over by 9, 9.15 instead of 9.45, 10 and, and past. Um, I, I'm not entirely speaking as uh, somebody who has uh, newspaper deadlines uh, <laughs> around those uh, hours, but uh, uh, yes, it's great for the writers, and I. but I, I think the fans are really going to enjoy it, I, and I don't think most have they probably read about it and heard about it, but uh, it's um, it's noticeable when you look up at the end, but it's not really noticeable during the game. You don't think, wow, how come that guy isn't walking around and adjusting his gloves? <laughs> how come the pitcher on the mound right away? Uh, you don't even notice it. Uh, it is, uh, uh, it, like I say, I, I, th- I thought they were messing with uh, – uh, a disaster uh, after hearing the minor leaguers uh, talk about how much they disliked it last year. But the group think this year is, this is great, and uh, I'll bet fans agree.
0: Same amount of pay for a shorter work week, Phil. You can't argue with that. Um, hmm. So, yeah, um- that said, if uh, if Joey Gallo is batting leadoff for this team, he could still see a lot of seven, eight, nine pitch at-bats to start the game. That'll slow it down, at least from the jump. Do you think that's their leadoff hitter against right-handed pitching? And then how does the lineup kind of flow from there with what we know about injuries, health, who they like and don't like coming out of camp?
2: I do think that Joey Gallo uh, will uh, will be a frequent player uh, leadoff hitter against uh, right-handed pitching. Uh, and you can see the thinking behind it. For one thing, uh, he, he just led the league in walks a couple of years ago. He's, a uh, you know, the twins haven't had a, haven't had a hundred walk guy since, uh, the early part of Joe Maurer's career. Hmm. He's a guy that, uh, gets on base a lot. And, uh, and he, yes, he's kind of an all or nothing, uh, guy. He, uh, also strikes out more than anybody else. Uh, Miguel Sano like, but, uh, um, but he's a, but he's a power hitter. And I, I think back to the, uh, how happy the twins were with Max Kepler in his big power year in 2019 as the leadoff hitter. And we asked more than once, uh, you know, uh, he's hitting home runs to start these games a couple of times a week. Uh, and, uh, Rocco's response was, well, what's wrong with that? You know, <laughs> it's a, it's a good way to start games. I, so it's an interesting look. You know, they just don't really have any speed on the team. Uh, for as much as Rocco talked about, uh, we're going to play a crisper, livelier, faster game. Uh, they don't really have uh, a lot of guys to steal a lot of bases, and uh, uh, you know, they're more inclined to use an on-base guy, which, weird as it is, uh, is kind of Joey. <coughs> excuse me, kind of Joey Gallo against like left-handed pitching. Uh, I think for now, until Jorge Polanco comes back, we'll probably see whoever is filling in for him, uh, whether it is uh, Kyle Farmer or uh, Donovan Solano, uh, probably one of those guys uh, are good leadoff, good on-base guys against uh, left-handers. So I don't think they're going to see many left-handers early in the season, uh, uh, not in Kansas City or Miami, but uh, I think that could be the lineup uh, settling in and then, depending on how Buxton's season going uh, is going maybe he uh moves up to that spot a little bit later.
0: Oh man it's just like when Gardy used to just throw Mike Redmond in the 3 spot when Maurer was out huh just I hey a catcher's got a bad third uh sorry a, a second baseman's got a bat first is that how it's going to go
2: Well and Gardy's big thing was uh you know a bunter has to bat second uh which uh is Those no the longer days. the case. That uh, is no longer the case. No. No uh, I, I think uh, Carlos Correa will be the second hitter, pretty, uh, pretty routinely. That's where he likes to hit, and uh, that's uh, that's that's where they like to hit him too. So uh, you know, it's funny. Last year, every every talk, every uh, thought about the Twins going into the season was Carlos Correa and uh, how transformative he was, he would be, but it would only be for one year. Shockingly, he is back now, and it's it's almost like it's almost like he's taken for granted now. And it's like, wow, what else do the twins have? Uh, It's uh, he has kind of uh, flown a little under the radar uh, this, this spring. Uh, And I'll be interested to see now that he's got his, his legacy contract. Now that he's uh, settled in, he uh, can make this place uh, his home for, you know, for good baseball wise. Uh, I'll be interested to see what, he, uh, what kind of season he has, and if that, uh, if we see even more from him,
0: yeah. And I, you know, I think he's certainly when healthy, I think this lineup has enough pieces. But if we're talking about Polanco, talking about Kirilov, still not, not ready, we're talking about Buxton kind of getting eased into things, hitting a lot, you know, DHing, but maybe not playing the outfield as much. I, I still think the question, and I don't think anybody would disagree with this necessarily, the question is, are they going to score enough runs this year? Are they going to score? more than they did last year when they had what there's the basically league average last year scored about 700 mm-hmm. runs. Do you think they're better than last year offensively or about the same or potentially worse? Where do you think that that falls?
2: Uh, well, it kind of pivots on a couple of players. I think uh, Jose Miranda is a critical one. I mean, when you say they had league average, uh, they had the quintessential league average hitter in uh, Gio Rochella Uh, in the lineup and uh, you know they want you know he had a good year and uh, they really liked him but they want more and uh, that's kind of up to they really think Jose Miranda provides that they uh, they really like uh, he has improved every year of his career once he uh, gets comfortable Uh, if that happens again uh, uh, I think they feel really good about it Um, you know you mentioned uh uh, Buxton, he only played, uh, 90 some games last year, uh, 92, I think it was, the plan, it, you know, it, it just seems like the plan is, uh, to, uh, sacrifice his defense, which it's not really that much of a sacrifice with Taylor, but, uh, but still get him in the lineup early. Thad Levine told me, uh, you know, we'll give up the defense early in order to have the defense and offense late. Um. It's their annual. How can we keep Byron Buxton healthy? Uh, And you know, I. It's the same as year after year, uh, where Buxton goes. So seems this team.
0: Yeah, well, let's let's finish up, Phil, with just just a quick look around the division, around the league. I mean, it feels like um, you know they start in Kansas City. They're definitely in a in a pretty substantial rebuild. You know, Detroit maybe a little bit further along in that process, but we still don't know what to expect from there Cleveland was very good last year Chicago was pretty disappointing last year how do you think this team stacks up with the rest of the AL Central and, you know, and acknowledging that maybe that's not quite as important as it used to be with the way the playoffs work now and obviously with the way the schedule works this year where they're going to see every single team they're going to see the less much less of their own division um, where do you think they are are competitively though within this AL Central this year
2: well, it, it really comes down to is Cleveland, can, uh, can they uh, do it again? And I, I think they can. Uh, you know, Cleveland accomplished what the Twins aspired to. They, they ushered in a new set of young players, uh, just like the Twins are hoping to do with Miranda and Larnock and Walner and, uh, and Joe Ryan and uh, Duran. Uh, you know, the Guardians uh, brought in Anders uh, uh, Ahmed Rosario. Uh, uh, you know, they finally fixed their outfield with uh, guys like um, Miles Straw, uh, Stephen Kwan. I think they're, they are uh, substantially better and suited for uh, the long term now. And, of course, uh, uh, Shane Bieber at the top of the rotation. I saw that uh, Tristan McKenzie is going to be out for a couple of months, and that's the kind of injury that will – I think'll keep him in and out, uh, so that significantly weakens the Guardians. I think because uh, they were kind of top heavy with their top two pitchers, uh, but uh, I, I I think that the that the Guardians uh, look like the Twins' chief uh, su- uh, competitor, and I think that the, the Twins probably have a better lineup. And I know they feel like they have the better pitching staff. Um, the White Sox. Uh, the White Sox match up well with the Twins uh, in the uh, front line, but the Twins have uh, so much more depth behind them. The White Sox have a lot of guys that uh, if they have good years and if they stay healthy, they're the team uh, that they could be the team to beat. But uh, if they have to dip into uh, their A team, that's uh, – that's going to open the door for the twins. I, I do think the twins uh, are, I do think it's a two team. Uh, well, I would say, I think it's a two team race. If everybody stays healthy between the twins and guardians. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, I, I, I do like their chances. I, I think the addition of Pablo Lopez and the keeping Carlos Correa are going to be the two uh, moves that end up, uh, decide the division
0: very well could be and we'll find out uh some of those answers really soon thursday opener in kansas city phil will be there home opener a week from thursday hoping for slightly warmer weather than what we had on tuesday for the uh <laughs> unveiling of the new scoreboard and other such things it was chilly out there uh to say the least they're not quite ready to host a game yet at target field i don't think
2: yeah yeah, maybe they can uh, move into the Viking Stadium for a couple of weeks. Uh, <laughs> Keep pe- no, I, uh, it, you know, that first series, uh, that's against the Astros, it's against the yep. World Champions. It, it's, uh, it's interesting. The Twins looked totally outclassed by the Astros last year. Part of it was timing uh, when they played, but uh, they did not win a game against the Astros last year. Zero yeah, and six or zero and seven. Yeah,
0: a lot of the scores were pretty lopsided too, were they not? Yes,
2: yes, it was not a competitive uh, matchup, and I'm. That is a really interesting uh, home opener weekend. uh, uh, I think we'll find out a lot about the twins uh, right off the bat.
0: We will indeed. And you will find it out from Phil Miller. Good stuff, Phil. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon.
2: Okay, Mike. Good talking to you. I appreciate
0: Phil hopping on with me today. He's been busy down in Fort Myers and now getting ready to head to Kansas City. In fact, he might be there already by now as you listen to this. Um, One side note. Um, If you're looking for even more optimism, it's not just the beat writers who think that the Twins are going to be pretty good. The uh, baseball prospectus uh, projected standings has the Twins with 88 wins this year um, and a 71% chance of making the postseason. So there you have it. People think that this is going to be a pretty good team based on the roster, and I think like Phil and I talked about, it all will come down to pitching. Now, a little bit off the beaten path, but uh, still something that has something to do with uh, with with the fan experience at Target Field. Caught up with Dave St. Peter just uh, just just yesterday to talk a little bit more about the bigger scoreboard, things like that. So here is Dave St. Peter, president of the Twins. All this is obviously aimed at game day experience, and even though this ballpark isn't that old, we're talking about you know 13 years into the Target Field experience. What do you hope that? The video board, all the yeah. enhancements do for
1: you guys. Well, I mean, it's the 14th year. When we moved in here, they told us the video boards would last a decade, so we ended up getting 13 years out of them. Uh, maybe 12 and a half if I count the 2020 COVID year where we played 60 games. <laughs> Sounds like Minnesotans in so, their furnaces. Uh, the they, reality they stretch is, them a little bit. the reality is, is we needed to do this. Um, but, but we, you know, I think what I'm grateful for is through the, our ownership and with the partnership of the ballpark authority. Well, we didn't just replace things like for like. We were able to make things in our mind markedly better with not just the best technology, but we were able to expand and, and create some some additional places for some video product that I think will we'll, uh, we'll, will 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 be great for fans. Not just in terms of entertainment factor during games, but also for showcasing some of the multitudes of information that we can provide fans around. Uh, the game itself, um, the, the, what's going on around Major League Baseball, what might be happening uh, this uh, this spring with the Wild or the Timberwolves uh, playing at the same time. Sure. Um, there's a lot of things we can do, and uh, uh, I'm thankful for that. In addition to having the ability to add again and, and, and reinforce some of the signature branding in the ballpark, updating the celebration sign with all new lighting, uh, bringing back the original Win Twins mark, and then, of course, the new addition of the revolving baseball in right field that serves as a beacon to the city, we think is a pretty cool thing here for our fans.
0: How much has, I mean, again, we're only talking about a little more than a decade, but how much has the fan experience or what fans want changed since even, you know, Target Field Open or when it was first conceptualized? Because it feels like not a lot of time, but it's a lot of time in kind yeah. of our expectations sometimes. Well, I
1: think it's, it's certainly a new generation of fans view the the game day experience much differently. For them, it's less about a... A fixed seat. It's all about the entertainment value. It's all about, frankly, the social experience. So again, some of today's projects, uh, scoreboard 2.0, is is aimed to pay that off in terms of how we use some of this real estate and really reinforce that. Those are really the the ticket buying fans of the future, um, and uh, ultimately, you know, you've seen us cater to them in the past, and we're going to continue to evolve Target Field to meet that demand. Can you warm it up a little bit for April 6? We're working on it. Thankfully, the sun's out today, but uh, you know, um, I don't worry so much about the home opener. It's the other 80 games I worry about. So, <laughs> thanks, Dave. Appreciate All it. All right, you're welcome.
0: Now, I posted video of the new scoreboard in uh, on Twitter, and you know, some people were into it, and some people were like. Uh oh, well, you know, I'd well, love to see them uh, add to the sixth biggest payroll. Or I, I uh, how you know, is this gonna? Where's this? Where's the scoreboard gonna bat in the batting order? Things like that. Like people are still skeptical about this team, skeptical about ballpark enhancements that have nothing to do with the team. And I get that. Um, but this is a completely different thing. This is totally different than the team, the payroll. This is this is something, um, you know, entirely new, entirely you know, separate from that. So. You know, people are going to be negative, whatever. I think, I think when I was down there looking at the scoreboard, it stood out. It is huge. It is pretty nice definition wise. So, you know, when you're there, take a notice of it, see what you think. It's not going to change how they play on the field. I get that, that, that's fine. But, uh, you know, you can, you can separate your skepticism for the team from, Hey, this is kind of a cool new gadget they've got in addition to some of the other things they've done at the ballpark. Let's finish with the cooler. Mike Conley Jr. cannot um, cannot overstate his impact, especially in recent games with the Wolves, as he's gotten more comfortable with with running the show on this team. Uh, Chris Hine, good story on uh, on what he's able, what he's been able to do. Some good quotes from Chris Finch in the story. Uh, quote from Finch: He's the perfect piece in my estimation. He really is. He can make all the big plays. He can run the offense. He can get the the ball to the guys where and when they need. Finch also talking about how you don't have to hide him on defense, which they had to do earlier in the year. And again, Finch didn't name names, but it's pretty clear that the upgrade from Conley, um, upgrade to Conley from uh, D'Angelo Russell on the defensive end. And again, not none of this is necessarily a a D'Lo bashing session. It's just that these are different players, and what we talked about when Conley came in in terms of fit seems to be playing out right now. Conley, you know, interested in in helping this team and kind of getting a better sense of what he's needing to do on this team, saying, it helps me a lot knowing I have a better feel on the offense, better feel of timing, the areas on the floor people are effective late in games, and also the areas where people aren't effective late in games, so I can stay away from certain actions late. It limits our turnovers, it limits our areas, and allows us to get better shots and chances to be efficient. That's a pro. That's a veteran pro point guard right there. He's helped them win four games in a row. A lot of big ones left, including tonight against Phoenix, expecting the return of Kevin Durant in that game. Big one in the standings. Wolves right there in that massive jumble. They've already gone 2-0 and on this road trip um, one more against Phoenix. If they can get this one, man, that would be an unbelievable road trip. Even if they don't win tonight, you got to feel pretty good about a 2-1 and West Coast trip against three playoff contenders. So we'll see where that gets them. Big one for the Wild tonight, too, against Colorado. Good night of TV viewing. Check that all out, and I'm sure we'll talk about that plenty on Thursday's show. I'll have Chip Scoggins tomorrow as well. I'm sure we'll have a bunch of stuff to talk about. Vikings, Twins plenty of other topics to get to until then enjoy the rest of your wednesday i'm michael rand back at it again tomorrow